Well, before we look into God's word together, let us speak with him. Let us come before our God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this evening uh, that you have given us another day and another evening uh, to enjoy, to rejoice and be glad in. Uh, Lord, we do pray that as we use this time to look into your word together, Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit may be working amongst the people here and we pray that we may go out of here tonight edified as we've looked at your word and seen what it says, what it commands us to do. And may we be able to be more Christ-like in the way that we live as a result of being here this evening. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen. Well, I think we're starting to all become fairly conscious that Christmas is indeed coming. My children this year have started to understand what Christmas is about more than any other year before. I have a two-year-old little girl, and I also have a four-year-old son. And for the four-year-old son, uh, he has picked up these cues around him that Christmas is coming, and so he always thinks it's tomorrow. He asks us each night before he goes to sleep, Christmas tomorrow, and uh, he still hasn't worked out that it is many weeks still before Christmas is here. And one of the reasons I think that they're so interested in Christmas and uh, that they picked up on this year in particular is Santa Claus at the shopping centres. As we go to different shopping centres, of course, there is this Santa Claus, which they have seen in TV shows and in movies. They've seen this uh, red man. uh, Joshua used to call him uh, the red man at the shopping centres, but now he knows the actual name for Santa Claus. And there's this man that is there, and uh, he's very friendly to them. He waves. Uh, to my children as they walk past and sometimes he even gives them presents. Uh, He will come over to the picket fence if there's not much happening and give them like reindeer ears uh, to put on and so they're quite intrigued by this aspect of Christmas, uh, the aspect of Christmas which is Santa Claus. And when we think about Santa Claus we think, oh well he is very good isn't he? Uh, I mean, after all, you come to his throne as he sits there in the shopping centre. He bids you come up to him and sit on his knee. And then he asks you whether you've been naughty or nice. And of course, you tell him you've been nice and he doesn't contradict you. He assumes, yes, he seems to know that, of course, you have been a nice person. And then you ask him for gifts what you would like for Christmas. He actually invites you to present your list of, uh, of what you would want for Christmas. And then, of course, on Christmas Day, on the 25th of December, what happens? He remembers what you wanted and he brings it and it's there when you wake up in the morning. I mean, who doesn't love Santa Claus? He is so wonderful. He is pretty good. What other aspect of Christmas could be better than Santa Claus? What anything else in the whole year going round could be better than Santa Claus. I mean, some people think that they would like it to be Christmas Day, 365 days of the year, because of Santa Claus. He would come every night and leave gifts. Well, tonight I want to teach you about a more important chair than Santa's throne at the mall and at Westfield Shopping. And that is the chair that is mentioned for us in chapter 4 of Hebrews, verse 16. Chapter of Hebrews, verse 16, we are told by the author there, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The author of Hebrews encourages you not to come to Santa's throne in this text, but he encourages you to come to another throne. 
And that leads me to my first main point this evening. Come to the throne of grace boldly. Come to the throne of grace boldly. Whose throne are we meant to go to? Well, it's this throne of grace. Whose throne would that be? Well, it's God's throne. But why would you go to God's throne? Aren't thrones scary things to approach? Who waltzes up to a throne? I mean, a throne is for a king. And a king is scary to approach. Kings mean power. And if this is God's throne, then what throne is more powerful than the throne of God? And thrones mean wisdom. And if this is God's throne, then God's wisdom is there. That means that the person sitting on that throne knows all things. They know definitely whether you've been naughty or nice over not just this year, but over every year of your life. And thrones also can mean judgment. And God's throne regularly is spoken of in the Bible as a throne of judgment. And that is particularly scary if you know that you have been sinful, that you have done wrong things, because the throne you are approaching is one that knows what you have done, has great power, and then is going to judge you for what you have done. So why would you want to approach God's throne, this throne that is mentioned here in Hebrews chapter 4.16? I mean, Santa's throne is difficult to approach in itself as well. My kids are intimidated by Santa. They still haven't actually gone up to his throne, not that we've encouraged them to do so, but they always, they still stand a fair way back from the fence. And of course, there is the fence that shields you from going up to Santa, from just waltzing up to him. And then, of course, there's the elves and the photographer that's usually hanging around as well that prevent you from just waltzing up to Santa's throne. And, I mean, Santa himself, uh, for my kids, they're still very young, he looks a bit odd. He's this man who's dressed all in red and he's got a beard, but it doesn't look quite right. Um, it's kind of intimidating to be told by a parent, go on, go, go, go up to that person over there on the throne. It's intimidating. How much more intimidating is it to go up to God's throne? Surely you'd want to get away from his throne, particularly if you're conscious of how sinful you are and if you're conscious of that it is a throne of judgment and a throne of great power. Shouldn't you want to run and hide under the closest rock rather than approach God's throne? Well, the author of Hebrews gives us a very good reason to approach God's throne and it's the way he describes that throne. What does he say in verse 16? Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. The author knows that God's throne is a throne of judgment, but it's also a throne of grace. That the king who sits on the throne is one who does judge, but he's also one who administers grace. Just like kings have administered grace in the kingdoms of this world or even if we look at an example from the bible of uh, king xerxes with esther esther knows that she can't just waltz into the king's presence because anybody who just rocks up is going to be killed unless of course the king extends his scepter to that person it's kind of like a roman emperor who can give the thumbs up or the thumbs down to someone He can say, yes, you are to be put to death, or thumbs up, it's okay. You can come into my presence and it's going to be all right. 
So the question is, how do you make sure that you're one of the people that is shown grace from God's throne rather than judgment? How can you do what the author says here in Hebrews 16 and boldly go up? It's interesting he puts that word boldly in there. Verse 16, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That word boldly, it can, uh, it can mean a number of different things. It can mean confidently or freely, without restraint, without fearlessness, without fearfulness, I should say, that we can go up to that throne without fear. Why would he say that? Well, yes, it's a throne of grace, but how do we know we're going to get that grace when we approach that throne? Well, the little word therefore, well, it's kind of big in comparison to some of the other words there. In verse 16, it says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. That's an important word because it shows us that something has come previously in the text for the author to then say, you can boldly go up to that throne of grace. And what has come previously in the text there? Well, previously in the text, we've seen that we have a great high priest who is Jesus Christ. And he is someone who has made it possible for us to actually approach God's throne. Just look back in verse 14. It says, Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. We have this great high priest who is actually the Son of God. And then in verse 15 it says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet yet without sin. He is a priest who is qualified to be high priest for us. And what has this high priest done for us in particular? Well, go back with me to chapter 2, verse 17, page 1036, just a page opposite if you've got one of these brown church Bibles. Verse 17, we read, Therefore in all things he, that's Jesus, had to be made like his brethren, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. What has Jesus done as the great high priest that gives us access to the throne of grace and so that we can confidently go up to it knowing we will find grace? It's this word propitiation back here in 217. It's a word that refers to the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made at the cross, that he gave his life so that our sins could be forgiven. The wrath that we deserve for our sins has been taken away in Jesus Christ's sacrifice at the cross. And so that then means we can boldly go up to the throne of grace. And this is why Christmas is so worth celebrating. It's because Christmas is that time where the Son of God entered into this world to grow up and then die a death that is a death of propitiation to God, a death that satisfies God's wrath for sinners like you and me. It is such a time of celebration because that baby didn't stay a baby. It grew up to do the greatest thing that has ever been done in the history of man, and that is to satisfy God's wrath. That Jesus, as high priest, offered his own body so that we could be set free from sin. And so if you're not a Christian and you're here tonight, 
Do you realize that you cannot do what is said in verse 16 unless you have Jesus Christ as your high priest? You cannot do what he says there where he says, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace. You can't do that. You can't boldly go up to that throne expecting grace unless the therefore in verse 16 refers to Jesus as your high priest. If you're not a Christian and you're here tonight, I encourage you Come before God even now in repentance, admitting that you're a sinner and that you do not deserve to be able to approach God on his throne and ask that Jesus Christ die for you at the cross, that he offers a sacrifice of propitiation for you at the cross so that you then can approach boldly, come boldly to the throne of grace as it says there in verse 16. If you're not a Christian, I encourage you to do that. Repent of your sins and trust that Jesus Christ died for you and do it tonight. And if you do that now, please see me afterwards or see Chris if you find me intimidating. Chris is lovable. You know he's, you know, might know him a bit better. He would love to talk to you tonight about repenting and trusting in Jesus Christ, having Jesus Christ be the propitiation that you need so that you can then do what verse 16 says and boldly, Come up to that throne of grace. But you may be saying, okay, yes, I have Jesus as my high priest. I have repented of my sins. I have trusted that Jesus Christ died for me. Yes, he is the propitiatory sacrifice that I need. But then you may be saying, well, why should I do what he says there in verse 16 to do? I mean, he's saying that to Christians. Why should I bother doing that? It seems like a bit of work. It seems a bit scary going up to the throne of grace. After all, it is God's throne. Um, yes, I have a tentatively good relationship with him but I still sin and I still find it intimidating to go up to that throne why would you bother I mean you are saved it's okay now why bother doing what he says there in verse 16 and come boldly to God's throne of grace I mean some people do that with Santa Claus after all don't they you might go to Santa Claus when you're smaller but once you grow up a bit you know that you have everything that you need isn't that why adults don't go to Santa Claus if they want something they just buy it they don't need him anymore He's not the tap of presence that they need to turn on now. Uh, they just buy their own things. And so that's why children go up to Santa Claus at the shopping centres, isn't it? Because adults have everything that they need. And so when it comes to the cross and to this throne of grace, don't we have everything we need? And so we don't need to do what it says there in verse 16. Well, I want to encourage you to go to that throne of grace to obtain mercy, to continue to obtain mercy, and because that's what he says in verse 16. He tells us reasons to go up to that throne of grace, and he's talking to Christians here, remember. He says in verse 16, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's my second main point this evening. Come to the throne of grace to obtain mercy. What is mercy? What does it mean to receive mercy? Well, mercy is not getting what you deserve. Mercy is not getting what you deserve. What do you deserve? You deserve punishment for the sin that you have done. But instead of receiving that punishment, you receive mercy, which means that you don't get the punishment that you actually deserve. And we must remember as Christians, we need God's mercy every day. 
Yes, you need God's mercy when you become a Christian, but you continue to sin. And God can administer punishment to you in your life. He can discipline you. He's a good and loving Heavenly Father. Hebrews 12 tells us that in a few chapters on. He tells us that he looks after his children. What does a good dad do? When his children get up to mischief, he disciplines them. But sometimes a good dad also lets some sin go unpunished in his house. He shows mercy. My son, when he knows he's done something very wrong, and I pick him up and I walk down our very long hallway towards his bedroom, the whole way down he's going, sorry, Dad, sorry, Dad, sorry, Dad. Why does he know that? Because he knows that sometimes when I make it to his bed and I sit him on my lap, sometimes what he deserves is not administered. He knows that sometimes mercy is shown, that he doesn't get what he deserves, and he does deserve it, but he doesn't get it. And it's the same with us and God. We deserve to be punished. We deserve to be disciplined. And sometimes we should be disciplined because it will actually make us a stronger Christian. But we should also be ready to go to God and ask for mercy. If you're experiencing great suffering or pain in your life of some sort, what should you be doing? You should be going to the throne of grace boldly to obtain mercy. Ask God, yes, I don't deserve to have this suffering end. But please, you are a merciful God, and I come before your throne and beg for mercy from you. So you should be going. You have a need to go to God's throne and plead for mercy for yourself. Why else should you go to the throne of grace? Well, he gives us another reason there in the text. The author of Hebrews tells us that we go to his throne that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Find grace to help in time of need. And that leads me to my third main point this evening. Come to the throne of grace to find grace. Come to the throne of grace to find grace. What is grace? Well, it's hard to define in some ways. It's a very broad concept. But you could, if you wanted to narrow it down and try and distinguish it, as the author seems to be distinguishing it here from mercy. Mercy is getting what, uh, not getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve. Grace is getting what you do not deserve, whereas mercy is not getting what you do deserve. So when God gives you grace, you don't deserve what you're getting if he gives it to you in grace. You have no claim on whatever it is he's given you, but he in his grace has given it to you. And you may say, oh, do I need his grace? Do I need to go to the throne to find grace? The answer is yes. I mean, it says there in the text, find grace to help in time of need. And we all have need for God's grace. We all have need for him to give us what we don't deserve. We have physical needs that we need God's grace to meet, material needs, health needs, and God doesn't need to give those to us, but he in his grace does, even though we don't don't deserve to have them. And even spiritual needs, growth in holiness. How are you going to become a better Christian? It's by God giving you grace, by him working in your life graciously so that you become a stronger Christian, become more like his son, Jesus Christ. So the throne of grace gives you mercy, 
and grace. It's worth going up to, isn't it? Particularly in comparison to Santa's throne. I mean, so many children make so much of Santa's throne. So much of our culture at Christmas makes so much of Santa's throne. But remember what God gives in comparison to Santa from his throne. God gives mercy for sin. Santa doesn't know about mercy. What does Santa say? Santa promises those who are naughty, coal apparently, and he promises those who are good, presents. There doesn't seem to be any administration of mercy there. If you're naughty, he knows, apparently, and if you're good, he knows. There doesn't seem to be any room for mercy for those who are naughty. Whereas God, he does administer mercy for sin. And we see that through the, what he did with his son Jesus Christ at the cross. By offering him as a sacrifice for your sins, he then can be merciful to you and also be just at the same time that sin has been paid for. And God also gives grace for what you need. It's interesting in comparison to Santa. Santa pretty much in his graciousness towards you, gives you what you want in comparison to what you need. My son is still trying to work out the difference between want and need, although he wouldn't actually articulate it that way, but I see it in the way he comes to me for for things. He says, oh, I need it, particularly in the toy department of any store. He'll hold up a particular toy and say, I need it. I say, do you really need it or do you just want it? Because let's face it, needs are those things in our lives that we can't survive without. And that is what God fulfills instead of those wants that we have. It is so wonderful that God gives us grace to help in time of need. Whereas Santa gives you toys even adult toys, electronic toys and things like that, which eventually break down and die. Whereas God gives us grace that has everlasting results. And so God's throne is far greater than Santa's throne because he dispenses mercy and grace in a way that Santa does not. So the question then is, I've told you, go boldly to the throne of grace and that you can obtain mercy and find grace to help there in time of need. Your question then may be, so how do I come to God for mercy and grace? How do I actually approach this throne? Where is it? I mean, Santa, we all know how to approach his throne. It's at the shopping centre, and it's in the time of November, December, each year you can go up. I'm sure they would like to start putting it up maybe in September, maybe August. But uh, generally, uh, it's up there in November and December. And then, of course, he only dispenses his grace on the 25th of December as well. How do you come to God for your needs? Well, it's in my fourth main point this morning, Come uh, this evening. Come to the throne of grace by prayer. Come to the throne of grace by prayer. Prayer is the way you come to the throne of grace. And do you realize that that means God's throne is far better than Santa's. You can come to the throne at any time of your life, whereas pretty much Santa Claus is restricted to when you're a child. Approach his throne. I know of some uh, young adult women who go up and they say they'd like a husband. They like to sit on his knee and say, yes, what I'd like for Christmas is a husband. They still go up to Santa. But generally speaking, Santa Claus is only approached when you are younger. 
But with God, you can go to him at any time of your life. You can go to his throne whether you are young, whether you are old. You can approach that throne. And you can come, if it is, you come to it by prayer, you can come at any time of day. Whereas Santa's throne, you can only approach when the shops are open and at that special time of year when his throne is put up there in the shopping malls. And if you can come to God in prayer, approach his throne in prayer, then that means you can come to him to that throne anywhere. Whereas, of course, you're restricted in approaching Santa's throne by where his throne has been put up. Whereas you can go to God's throne at any time of your life, at any time of day, and wherever you are. It doesn't matter what country you are in. It doesn't matter where in the world you are, where in the universe. Even if if one of you goes as an astronaut up into outer space, you can still approach God's throne there. And it's far better than, than Santa's throne. But then it's amazing how little Christians actually do what is said there, here in verse 16. It sounds amazing, but the question is then why would he actually have to say it? Surely we're going to his throne on a regular basis. But the author of Hebrews knows that those people that he's writing to need to be encouraged to go to the throne of grace because we do find it difficult to pray and we spend so little time in prayer. It's amazing privilege that we can go to that throne of grace in prayer that the king of the universe is on his throne and he commands us himself. I mean, he wrote this book, not just the author of Hebrews, he wrote this book and he tells us, come boldly to his throne. It's an amazing privilege, but so often we don't pray when we should. Why is that? Why don't we come boldly to that throne of grace in prayer more often? Well, maybe I've got two reasons maybe why that's the case. Maybe you don't pray because you don't think you need to pray. You're proudly independent. Because, I mean, let's face it, if you come before someone and ask them for help, you're saying something about your own life, aren't you? You're saying something about your own incapacity to meet the needs that you have in your life. But if you start to recognise that you need things in your life, you need help, then you're going to come to God in prayer. I encourage you, if you don't regularly come to God in prayer about the things that you do need and the things that you know other people in your life need, then write up a list. Get prayer lists. I've been using lists for a number of years now and it's been immensely helpful. It helps me remember all the things that I've got to pray for and I just work through them. And if you have long lists of needs of yourself and the people in your life, then you're going to pray for a long time, generally speaking, as well. Get a list together. I, I don't know how I'd survive. if I, I, I wouldn't be praying for many of the things that I pray for if I didn't have a list. Recognize that you have needs in your life and people in your life have needs and then start to jot those things down and work through them. And then you will start coming to God's throne of grace regularly. And with those things that you do know you have to be praying about. The other reason you may not pray, maybe because you don't think prayer actually works. You see the command here, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. But you think, well, I've done that before and I didn't really find mercy. I didn't really find grace. And so I tried that. It didn't work. I don't do it anymore. It was a waste of my time to go boldly to that throne of grace. Well, I encourage you, if you don't think prayer works, maybe you just need to reflect a bit more about what you prayed for 
and whether it did actually work and you just don't remember. One of the things I've been using lists for a number of years for actually praying for things, but this year for the first time I started a list of answered prayer. And it's been a great exercise for me to do because it's, it's reminded me again and again of the, the fact that prayer does indeed work. I can go back over so many days of this year and show you that again and again specific prayers of mine have been indeed answered, that mercy has been shown to me and that grace has been shown to me. And I think we just are so good as Christians at forgetting what we prayed for and when, or we, when we pray for something, it is answered and then we just don't really remember. We say, oh, isn't that wonderful? But we don't actually remember that that was something we prayed urgently about. And we don't attribute it back to the power of prayer. So I encourage you, if you're someone who doesn't easily go to that throne of grace, then be disciplined enough to examine the needs in your life, examine the needs of those around you, draw up a list and start boldly going on a regular basis. Work through that list that you've made up. And then if you think that prayer doesn't work, draw up another list. And each day, get a reminder to look at that list and say, okay, now what did I pray for yesterday or what happened in my life yesterday that I prayed about and I saw it answered and jot it down. And then in time, you'll start to see again and again that boldly coming to the throne of grace does indeed obtain mercy and find grace to help you in your time of need. So this Christmas, I want to encourage you, don't go to Santa's throne with your list of needs. Go to God's throne. Go to the throne of grace and ask him for mercy and grace. And then don't just go this Christmas. One of the great things that I can proclaim to you tonight is that it pretty much is Christmas every day of the year if you look at this throne of grace. We think, oh, you can only go to Santa Claus and he only gives you stuff on 25th of December each year. That's what we're told. He only gives you that on the 25th of December. But the thing about God's throne is he gives you grace and mercy 365 days of the year. That is Christmas every day of the year. God loves to give mercy and grace, so much so that he actually commands you here in this text to approach him to get it. Why don't you do that this Christmas? Go, boldly go to it, but also go every day of the year and then see how he does indeed give mercy and grace not just one day a year but every day of the year let us come before God's throne now Heavenly Father we thank you that we can boldly approach your throne because we have a high priest Jesus Christ who has offered the only sacrifice that can take away sin the sacrifice that satisfies your wrath against us for the sin that we have committed. Lord, we pray that we as Christians may not only come to you for mercy and grace for salvation, but we may come to you for mercy and grace for every day. We have so many needs, and the people around us have so many needs. Lord, may we come before you knowing that you are a God, who sits on a throne of judgment, but also a throne of grace. And may we come before you and obtain mercy and grace 
regularly. May we be always in your presence. And then may we see the power of prayer, the power of your mercy, the power of your grace in our lives. And may that spur us on to come even more regularly into your presence, knowing that approaching your throne does indeed work. And we pray this in your Son's name. Amen.